Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Rodney E. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the Round 10 preview and uh, Round 10, we're into double figures. I don't know why it feels like a slog this business sometimes, I should be more um, up and about, maybe it's just because it's too early in the morning for me, but uh, as I welcome my co-host, Mr. Rodney Ede, maybe he can jolt me into a, a bit of uh, a bit more zest than I feel in this aging body right now. How are you, Rocket? Very good, Rowan. You, um, I think you just work too hard, mate. You work around the clock, and everything just rolls into the next day, rolls into the next round, and then it rolls into the next round, and uh, you lose focus. I need to. I think you need to about to re-energize a little bit. I need one of your famous withering sprays, Rocket. Yeah, I'll give you one of those, Rowan. <laughs> You know what? In all seriousness, the rhythms of the season have changed a bit for me. So we get up to round 10 and I'm thinking, oh, that's close to the halfway point of a season. And then I think, oh, hang on, we've got 24 rounds now. I've still got another fortnight before we get halfway. It's a, Does it make the season feel longer, do you reckon? It what does. Well, it certainly started early. It starts now. Well, that's only one practice match, really. Then yeah. um, uh, you used to have the pre-season cup, which was four rounds. and um, So the season starts probably a couple of weeks earlier. So, uh, uh, and then again, then they've got to fit in the buy at the end of the home and away for the final. So that's an extra week lost. So it drags the season on that bit longer. Well, I've just got to pace myself a bit better because at this stage, I'm going to blow a gasket come about round 15. But uh, we'll get there. We've got a lot to talk about. Plenty of news happening. Nine big games to preview. Uh, and uh, Sir Doug Nichols round, of course, always a big occasion too. So uh, let's get stuck into it. On Footyology Newsfeed. Well, we're going to kick off the news this week talking about priority picks. Now, this is a discussion that generally comes up or starts emerging around this time of every season when a side's going particularly badly. It does feel like the worst sides in the competition are worse than usual this year. Of course, um, North Melbourne, two wins. West Coast and Hawthorne, uh, just a one win each so far, and we're nearly halfway through the season. That's that's pretty ordinary. Uh, are the uh, the worst teams worse than usual this year, do you think, Rocket? Uh, I think they are, and I think having three of them, some, generally there's one. Sometimes every now and then there's two, but to have three is a bit of an anomaly, really, and they are poor. Uh, all three of them are poor. Um Hawthorne, to me, is the only one that I can see a plan mm. um, looking ahead. Uh seemed to me North Melbourne is uh, – we'll get the master coach and then that'll fix all our ills. And they're probably realising that their list is not that great. Um, and West Coast is probably injuries, but I think bad planning and bad list management. Um, so, look, now the Hawks are going – poorly at the moment and have some good games here and there where they don't lose by that much, but that's going to happen with a young team. But I think they've planned for this. I can see a future for them. I can see them all way out, um, out of the malaise. But uh, as far as priority picks, I think North are the only one at this stage or any chance of uh, uh, any chance of getting one. Um, I think you need a good four or five years of poor form, um, poor results, and probably no way out of it. And uh, North are probably in that situation at the moment. Yeah, I, I really agree. I'm pretty big on this. Now, 
I go back to, and you, you might remember this as well, it's it's 30 years, I think 93 uh, around that time might have been the introduction of the, um, I think it was called Poor Performers Pick, but it was a it was a formula for assistance based on three uh, performances over three seasons. I really don't like the way it's been made arbitrary and the formula required to calculate it is sort of like Colonel Sanders, you know, secret herbs and spices. I think... Um, something as important as draft assistance. Well, I think there needs to be transparency about it. That's so. That's one of my hobby horses. The other one, though, is is definitely this thing that you have to be poor for long enough. I think three years in this day and age is probably a good enough qualifying point. But even if you take these three teams over a three year period, there is a dramatic difference between two of them and the other one. So that is Hawthorne. Um, since the start of 2020, have won 21 games. West Coast, since the start of 2020, have won 25 games. North Melbourne, since the start of 2020, have only won 11. And they've only won four in the past season and a half. So big difference, I think, between the Roos and the other two. If I was uh, making a decision on this, I wouldn't be thinking about Hawthorne or West Coast to draft assistance for two seconds, would you? No, not at all. I think, and and those games you gave then is over three and a half seasons. So I, I think four seasons is a good amount. Yeah. I, I I think three seasons is probably too easy to see the finish line for some clubs and say, oh yeah, okay, let's have another bad year and we'll get one. Four years, uh, I think, just pushes that a bit longer where they go. Well, we need to fix this area of concern. I can see West Coast in two years' time asking for one, mm. um, and that's their own doing. So I think there's got to be a bit of uh, uh, work on that. But uh, I think the Hawks will be okay. I think the Kangas will be okay. If they get some assistance, uh, I think they're, they've got some talent there underneath coming through. They're older players. You'd think offer some support, but they've certainly got some issues. And I think their results show that. And and you, it's not great for the competition when you have, at the moment, we've got three teams, you would say, having a bye. Um, well, it's not, it's not great for the competition when you've got one team that's just non-competitive. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm not saying to help North Melbourne again in the finals either, but we're helping them to become competitive. At least their supporters can go to a game and say, well, I think we're a chance to win it. At the moment, their supporters go to the game and think, hopefully we don't lose by 10 goals. Uh, and that's what they're hoping, which is which is not great for the competition. No, it's not. You do, you do need a sense of um, history, though, so you, so you don't sort of lose sight of other examples. I remember, you know, we were saying all this stuff about Melbourne 10 years ago, and they, yeah. they were going into games hoping they wouldn't get beaten by 100 points. There's also the thing here, and it's sort of funny, uh, I guess sometimes given one's political beliefs, I'm all for I'm all for assistance and welfare and whatever, but I'm all, in a sporting context, I'm always pretty opposed to rewarding um, clubs for being ordinary and getting themselves into their own uh, problems. And uh, I guess that sometimes can be a difficult um, opinion to arrive at. To what yeah. extent is a club uh, a, an architect of its own misfortune? Yeah, yeah I, I suppose to go back to your point about being arbitrary, I think there, there should be a, a method or a, a plan or a scale, but I think it should be arbit- a little bit of arbitrary in there as well, because to me, if a club, say North Melbourne, aren't trying to fix their issues or fix their rules, well, I don't think they should be able to get a, 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 um, a, a I suppose, a good enough uh, plan to go forward where they've 
change coaches, they're, they're trying to do things. I mean, they don't want – you can see they don't want to be where they're at. Mm. Where some clubs maybe just accept maybe the Melbournes in, the, in that period of time. Well, they, you know, they probably don't need as much assistance because I think they've got to try and dig themselves out of a hole as well. There's got to be some responsibility to the club. You can't just uh, worry about welfare all the time. And and, and North are in a parlour state where they haven't got a big supporter base. They've had chances to go to the Gold Coast and Tassie. They've knocked them back. Do you see them long-term future? Well, that's that's what people will be asking. If this continues for the next two or three years, that, uh, that's what people will be asking. Well, it's a big decision for the commission to make. As we mentioned, the secret uh, herbs and spices formula, I guess, you know, the commission's got to work out are those clubs deserving of a zinger or the chicken pops? And a uh, big decision to make like it is when you walk through the doors of KFC, Rocket. So- <laughs> I got that. I just hope you mentioned about the um, about the commission. Yeah. You just hope they're going to make that decision. They actually get some football people on the commission. Andrew we- Newbold's the only <laughs> one with any with any football or club club background or the other one, business people where I, I, and then there's two or three spots. I think they've got to fill them, whether it's the Lee Matthews, Andrew Island, Matthew Pavlich, but they've got to have some football now, some football knowledge on the commission. Yeah. Well, I was going to say they'd be happy to just get some commissioners full stop at this stage. It's about three of them at the moment, isn't it? I think they're, they're too short. It's just yeah, bizarre. I think, yeah, I think they're at least too short at the moment. Yeah. It is bizarre how that is working. I've got to say, all right, let's move on. Actually, we'll, um, Good segue, actually, into the Tasmanian issue because, uh, well, as some of us uh, predicted, as some of us with inside information on this stuff, the you-know-what has hit the fan in Tassie. We're about to see the downfall of a government over the stadium issue to Liberal MPs resigning from the party, and uh, that has made the Rockcliffe government in Tassie very precarious indeed. Labor has now come out and publicly opposed the building of the new stadium. Gil McLaughlin's holding the line and saying, well, you know, one one thing, the stadium goes hand in hand with the other of a team and they're inseparable. I don't know. I, I just, uh, as, I, as I've said before, my sources in this one, they're pretty close to the ground. They are absolutely very confident that this stadium will not be built. There is just too much opposition going on. Now, I know you speak to a lot of people at the face of power in the Apple Isle. What's your <laughs> reading on it? Um, it's interesting. I like in all protests, it, it, I feel it's not a majority. Um, Jackie Lambie the other day was very smart to have her protest while the Salamanca market was on. So you think there's 6,000 people. I've heard there's about 600 protesters. So okay. um, I I think, look, I know it's a lot of money the government has dumped up, so I'm not getting into politics of where it is. But, but they're spending $5.8 billion on health anyway. So three hundred and seventy-five million. I know it's, it's a lot of money, but they're already got a lot of. I think it's short-sighted for these protesters of what football can bring to the state. Mm. By okay, let's build the stadium. Uh, the, the economy will be boosted with tourism. That that uh, site uh, will bring concerts and other other things as well. Uh, but the most importantly, it'll give the chance for Tasmanian youngsters. Let's the let's the youth have a have a vote on this instead of old cronies and greenies who just want to protest because Tasmania is a state that loves saying no to things. That's it. Let's 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 protest. Let's protest about a little plant that's nobody's heard of that grows on a rock at the back of nowhere. Oh, we can't do anything out there because of this little plant. Tasmania hates progress. And let's ask the youth 
Do they want a chance to play AFL? Do, do they want a chance to have academies around Tasmania? Do they want a chance for their local football clubs and netball clubs to actually flourish and go out? And I think it's short-sightedness on these people who are protesting what it can bring to Tasmania, not only football, but I think the rest of Tasmania. And I think if we don't get a chance now, if the, if the, if the state doesn't get built and we don't have a football, football in Tasmania is shot, and I reckon sport in Tasmania will be shot. All right, I'm just going to play devil's advocate here and say that um, I, I agree with you about young people. They are the future after all. But I get the impression that young people these days aren't necessarily as invested in sport and to them, priorities like health, education, et cetera, might be seen as a lot more important and therefore deserving of, of that $370, $50 million or whatever it is. But uh, as I heard on TV last night, there's, there's always a fund that's, it's invested in sport and the federal government does that as well. And every state government does that invest money in sport. So there's 5.8 billion into health already. So 375 million going to that is 15 times or whatever it is. So it's once every 23 days, there's 375 million going into health. Uh, yeah. I, I think the long-term benefit of having a stadium and therefore a Tasmanian team in the AFL will benefit the whole of Tasmania, and it'll help communities, it'll help employment, uh, and by extension, with the taxes that the government get from all this money that comes in, that will, that can be redeployed as well. I, I, I just, yeah, I, I'm a bit the other camp. I think people are short-sighted. They're just seeing, and that's they've got the Tasmanian protesters who are love protesting and love no, and it ends up being a north-south thing as well. Most of the protesters are up there. And but it'll benefit everybody. It'll develop their. It'll help their kids and grandkids along the way. So I I think it's a short term, and I think uh, yeah I certainly worry about the sport, but I worry about issues of, of all sport in Tasmania if we don't get this up. All right. Well, no doubt we'll be talking a lot more about it because there's plenty more to play out in that uh, sphere. All right. I want to finish off this segment this week with what I think is far and away the most interesting story of the week and it goes to um, one of the most famous incidents in football history and that of course is the Wayne Harms chasing of his own kick and knock from the boundary line in the dying minutes of the 1979 grand final uh, famous incident which Rocket I had the very good fortune to be sitting above that in the second row of the top deck of the Ponsford stand as a 14 year old I've always insisted the ball was in I know the boundary umpire um that day is always insisted the ball was in. The Channel 7 footage, unfortunately, Wayne Harm's body blocks the ball and it's hard to definitively say. But incredible, if you're not across this, uh, football historian Rhett Bartlett, yes, son of Kevin Bartlett, uh, turned up uh, and God knows, this is part of the thing, God knows why it didn't emerge earlier, but the ABC footage uh, of the same incident has now come to light and the ABC cameras were just to the right of Channel 7 so the angle on the harms incident is slightly different Rhett has slowed down the footage and you can clearly see the ball bounce on the boundary line just as he sort of half volleys it with his fist towards Ken Sheldon in the goal square so you know after 44 years of endless debate and jokes and Toyota ads featuring Wayne Harms we have the definitive proof that the ball was in and Collingwood supporters should uh, stop their whinging and Carlton supporters can rightly 
Uh, not that they weren't celebrating, obviously, but I, I think it's an incredible story. And um, I've got a bit to say about how that story was treated, but uh, how have you found this whole yarn? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I found it interesting. The other thing to me, and I've always thought it, is the Channel 7 footage shows the goal umpire running towards the point post on bended knees, looking directly at it. So he has had an unbelievable view. So from my point of view, we've always thought, oh, well, it has to be in. Um, and it was a final, de- it was a decision anyway, so move on. So now it's, uh, it's as you said, it's interesting it's taken how many years, 45 years or 40 years to, 45 years to actually come up with this footage ABC. I can't believe the ABC didn't, obviously put in their archives and didn't even worry about it. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it can put it to rest. And um, I suppose it's uh, more ex- extra pain for the Collingwood supporters, which is good to see as well. <laughs> well, you just touched on a key thing about this, and this is where my hobby horse comes into play. How could that footage have been there and not one person over the years has thought, oh, maybe we had a slightly different angle on the shot? Well, in the ABC's case, I can tell you, it's because they've sacked all their archivists, Rocket. Right. I did a bit of uh, digging around yesterday. Um, halfway through last year, the ABC announced that they were getting rid of, I think it was 58 archive and librarian positions. It, now they're expecting the journos and production staff or whatever to actually do their own archiving. That's not going to happen. Now, the other thing is people are unaware of this, and it seems almost incredible. But even Channel 7 did this as much as they profess to love the game. I know for a fact that in the 1980s, they would tape their home and away games or whatever. And rather than stock them and archive them and then later on digitize them, they either threw them away or taped over them with episodes of, oh, I don't know, what was Channel 7 having their neighbours or <laughs> young doctors or something. So you're trying to look for, I don't know, something from the 1970s. One of your early games had it. Glen Ferry Oval Rocket. I know you're not that old, but you no, know, I didn't play you, <laughs> you know what I'm getting at. One of those yeah. black and white games, and instead you, you're turning you're turning it on, and Ada Simmons is chewing out Nurse Tanya Livingston in the kiosk of the Young Doctors. I mean, this is absolutely absurd. I, there can't be many sports in the world whose administrators and broadcasters have as little regard for the history as now. And this, to me, is a definitive example. That you know, if we if we cared about this stuff enough, this debate would have been solved four decades ago. The other thing about this rocket, and oh, geez, I'm grumpy about this one. A certain geez, former, you're a bit jaded today, Brian. You're up and about about this. This has got your energy back in. You've, well, you've come from a come from the bottom of the barrel <laughs> and half an hour ago. Now you're you're on top of the mountain. I'm doing a Teddy Hopkins off the interchange bench. My former newspaper, The Age, has only this morning sought to run for the first time anything at all about this story and it's as a column item this is one of the most famous incidents in football history it's been solved now to their credit the herald sun they wrote about it straight away channel seven it led their sports news on sunday evening the age have got three pissy paragraphs in the paper on wednesday morning are you serious so we can spend pages and pages speculating about what someone's going to do when they become a free agent in 38 years or whatever. But we can't talk about how the result of a grand final was changed by the a, a bit of new evidence. This is like football's equivalent of the Zap Ruder footage of the JFK assassination rocket. And we've got major media outlets that don't even think it's worthy of a mention. What is going on? 
Uh, are you trying to intimate that we're asleep at the wheel? Uh, yes. <laughs> I don't think there is a. I don't, I don't think there's a wheel. I think there's it's a wheel. It's an ox. An ox is turning the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the ox is slow, and I'm not very patient. Uh, to <laughs> adopt a phrase of Mick Mulhouse. All right, so. I, I, I gather you're going to keep out of this one. I just reckon, seriously. No, that's right. I, I think it's history's, in any form of history, whether it's uh, a country's history or whatever, but certainly sporting history, it's fantastic. And younger people today don't care about history. I understand that. But to to know where you're going, you've got to know where you come from. And showing parts of that, showing this historical footage or now we haven't got much of peter hudson in his days or daryl bordock i mean imagine if we had the had the vision of those players it'd be fantastic for football um so yeah i think we've got to be i think we're becoming better but we're obviously a bit more technology now but uh, it's a shame that we're not uh as historically minded as we should be well uh you've just quoted yabby jeans haven't you to know where you're going you've got to know where you've come from, and that's uh, very much a Hawthorne saying. It was uh, that was before Yap. That was Doctor Ferguson. Oh, Doctor Ferguson. Yeah, so um, old Doctor Ferguson. Uh, it was another one of his famous quotes, which didn't mean much to me when my first jumper presentation was: "If you embrace Hawthorne, Hawthorne will embrace you." And um, I didn't really understand that till I finished playing and went into coaching. I thought, yeah, it's a great, great saying. So that's uh, uh, yeah, no, that's slightly JFK-ish, isn't it? And to all our younger listeners here. You might uh, remember that Hawthorne actually used to be a very successful football club, Rocket. There's a bit of history <laughs> for you as and well. And will be, and will be in the future. I'm sure right. they will. Uh, all right, interesting stuff. Uh, we've got nine games to preview in round 10. Let's do that right now. On Footyology, previews with Punch. All right, uh, so Doug Nichols' round kicks off Friday evening with uh, what has to be the game of the round. This is a corker. It is between second and fourth on the ladder, Port Adelaide against Melbourne, or actually this week, Rocket, in Sir Doug Nichols' round, it is Yata Pulte against Nam at Adelaide Oval. Uh, wow. Friday, yeah, well, I've done my research here. Friday good, good, evening, good boy. 7.50 p.m., uh, Port Adelaide are fourth, uh, six and three. They've won six in a row now after beating up on North by 70 points last week. The D's a second, seven and two, after they beat up on Hawthorne by 54 points. Port Adelaide against Melbourne. The Power have won 10 of the, or they did win 10 out of 12 against Melbourne from 2011 to 20, but the Demons have won the last three. Adelaide Oval, Melbourne have won seven of their last nine appearances there, including a couple of finals, uh, one final, sorry. They did lose to Essen in their last start. That was in Gather Round in round five. And Port, of course, their home turf. They've won 11 of the last 14 there. Some injury stuff to talk about, but um, this should be a ripper, shouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think it should be a really great game. I think it, re- you know, it should be a fantastic, interesting game. Port are in great form. I think the difference between the sides is going to be the tall players. I think uh, Gorn and Grundy against two inexperienced young Ruckman. Charlie Dixon's still in some doubt. Um Really, he gives them a focal point. He gives them some structure. Marshall's out for a while. If Dixon doesn't play, you you would hope for Adel- uh, for Port's sake, for Port Adelaide's sake, that it's going to be uh, dewy. It's going to rain. The ball's going to be on the deck. Uh, but I think with these with the big manpower, um, especially with May and Lever, be able able to patrol the defence. I think Melbourne should get the job done. 
Yeah, look, Melbourne aren't without their injury concerns either. Now, uh, Harrison Petty uh, suffered a foot injury last week. He's going to be out for at least four weeks, could be longer. And literally in the last 10 seconds of that game, Christian Petrarca rolled an ankle. Um, he was sort of making light of it at the end when he was interviewed, but then hobbled off. So he's got a fitness test coming up. Now, his absence would change the equation considerably, I would have thought. Um Tom Sparrow suspended for a week, so there's another one they're going to be without. I must admit, initially, my thoughts are the same as yours. Charlie Dixon, gee, he's banged up, isn't he? He's, he's older and he's he's sort of he's sore and it yeah. looks like it's all an effort for him. So, uh, yeah, I wouldn't be overly hopeful he's going to get up. Uh, Marshall, they've got to be cautious over him with that concussion. Xavier Dersma still six weeks away. He's another one, of, obviously, they could use. Junior Rioli still suspended. To, to me, uh, someone like Rioli is, I won't say cream on the cake, but to me, a Rioli is probably the difference between Port being a very good side and a potential sort of flag-winning side. It's just that little bit of extra X factor, and that's even with the likes of Zach Butters um, and Connor Rose playing as well as they are. Oh, the other one, to the Orazio Fantasia Memorial Injury Report. <laughs> I, was going to, I was going to ask whether you're going to mention him again. <laughs> yeah. uh, he is now listed as two weeks and may be able to rejoin full training in the next week until he breaks down again. So um, good news there for the power. Uh, what about if Petrarca did miss Rocket? Would that potentially change your tip? Uh, no, it wouldn't change my tip, uh, but it certainly make it a lot closer. I mean, the... Uh, Butters and Rosie have really taken the game to another level, which is great to see. Um, Wines has dropped down a little bit. Uh, Boke, as you imagine with his age, has, has just dropped that a little bit. I, I still think they, I still think with Oliver and Viney and their midfield, I think they could get the job done. That would allow Port, though, to really focus in on Oliver, really to tag him heavily. Mm. Um, and he, he would need a big game. But uh, I just think with the big players that be able to get first access to the ball, be able to go forward and market. I, I just think that they, I don't, I, I think, I think Penny's a really good player, but I don't think they'll miss him this week against Port Adelaide for their lack of height. So I think they'll be able to cover that. It's really, Petraka is obviously a fantastic player, but I, I still think that the Demons can get the job done. I think the time of this game is a significant factor too, because we're heading into the winter period now, night games inevitably, this time of year, you get you know more more dew and um, slippery conditions, and body strength becomes uh, even more important. And, and Melbourne, uh, for me, they're probably the number one side in the competition in terms of big midfield bodies, contested ball, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that to me gives them even more of an advantage. Yeah, for sure, and certainly for tracker players, that, that adds to that. So. I think Port are doing a great job. They've got a few injuries and obviously a suspension to Rioli, so they're they're actually cobbling it together okay. I, I, I'm like you. I don't think Dixon will play. They said it's not only his knee now, it's, it's his hip and something. So, you know, he plays a combative game. You know, it's not about the number of possessions he, he wins. It's his, it's his contest. Uh, I think that they all are on the side of caution. They don't want him in for one week, then miss another two. I think uh, I think he'll miss. And I think with that, I, I think Gorn and Grundy again, I think it'll just be too strong. And the Demons, for me, by 15 points. 
15. All right. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm prepared to back Melbourne by, uh, I'm going to say 20 points. I think they're really starting to gear up into the, almost their top form of days. And um, at this stage, probably the, the flag favourite for me. So we are both going for Melbourne, what should be a terrific game. We kick off the card on Saturday at Marvel Stadium, 1.45pm with North Melbourne taking on Sydney. It's a rematch of the 96 grand final rocket. And uh, I was watching that the other night and seeing you in the coach's box with hair. Uh, that's how long ago it was. And uh, <laughs> gee, you had a galaxy of support stuff. It was like half a team cramped into the coach's box there. Well, it's about half of what they have today. Just the coach's box is that much smaller in, the, in those days. So, uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah. So it was quite a long, a lifetime ago, wasn't it? It was a long time ago. Good, uh, uh, pretty good game, actually. If you've never seen it, check out the highlights on YouTube. All right. North Melbourne, uh, 16th on the ladder, two and seven. They have now lost seven in a row after winning those first two games. Smashed by Port Adelaide down in Hobart last Saturday. And Sydney, wow, grand final runners up, but boy, are they struggling in 2023. 14th on the ladder, three and six, and they've lost four in a row, including another one at home last week by 17 points to Fremantle. Um, how do these two go against each other? Well, the Swans, as you'd expect, have won 18 of the last 21 games. Uh, those numbers from 2008 to 2022, and they've won nine of the last 10. Uh, North Melbourne at Marvel Stadium, uh, struggling to win even there, the Roos. Five out of 26 since the start of 2020. Uh, Sydney's record at Marvel overall is pretty handy, but not as good lately. They're 6-4 in games at Marvel Stadium across the last 10. Both got uh, lengthy and significant injury lists, which I'll get to in a moment. Uh, but just a very, very quick snapshot about how you think this one might play out. Um, well, uh, North seems as if they're going to have a few players out. Um, and I can't see them troubling the Swans, even though the, you know, the Swans are really struggling. Um, there are some issues there. They struggle up forward. They struggle kicking goals. I know there's been discussion about Lance Franklin and let's, let's celebrate a champion in his exit. But he's, he's really struggling. He, he, and I think we mentioned at the start of the season that, I, I thought he's gone on a year too long. I, I didn't think he was he, – he can't bend over. His body's not what it used to be. He hasn't got that speed anymore that he had. Um, and so, you now it's a battle for them. It's a battle to kick goals. And um, they they defend okay for a while because they've got a reasonable system. But without the McCartan brothers and Rampy, it really it really exposes them. Um, you know, you know, Fremantle last week kicked too many easy goals. Francis, who got a bit of the ball, but – on the lead up, just allowed his player to just to come at the footy. It was it was too easy. I still think they're when they've got too much class in the midfield. They've got you know Gordon's in really good form. Warner's a good player. McInerney, these type of Florence. Um, I I I think they'll win, but certainly the Swans are in a bit of a slump. I, I would argue that the Swans at the moment they haven't got numerically the same injuries of some other clubs with longer injury lists, but. Their injuries are more critical, I think. And you mentioned it. They're they're at either end of the ground, aren't they? And they cannot take a trick. I mean, both McCartan's out, Rampy out. We know how much that's hurt their defence. Well, 
At the other end of the ground, you know, Buddy struggling, as you say. First, they lost Joel Amati just as he was starting to look really good. Sam Reed, well, he's, uh, in fact, we could call it the Sam Reed Memorial injury. I'm going to say he's the Fantasia of Sydney. Absolutely. They should team up for a duet on crutches, obviously. Uh, but he's out perpetually. And now Logan McDonald, who is starting to look good, he's out for eight weeks with an ankle wow. injury. Yep, and uh, Callum Mills has done a calf. So, yeah, uh, yeah. captain and key on baller. They are hurt in every part of the ground. And at this stage, I noticed they've still uh, got one of the youngest lists in the competition. They don't have the depth to cover injuries of that magnitude. So, I'm not worried about them long term. I know that, you know, there's this sort of hangover theory about sides that get smashed in a grand final. I think their long term future is good, but they're just not at a stage in their development where they can withstand injuries of that significance to either key area of the ground. Oh, for sure. There's no doubt. And and, and they don't always won the injuries. It's about who you're injured, not so much the amount of injuries you have. And I was, <clears throat> saw her with some killed on that. They're saying there are 15 injuries, but 10 or 11 of them weren't, weren't really going to help their senior side. But <clears throat> excuse me. But uh, when you look at those three defenders, you've got a Marty as a young player who can, who can really help them. Mills now is a terrific player. He's a fantastic player. And you've got McDonald. So there's six or five of those six are probably in their best 10 to ten to 11 players. No side's going to cope with that. But as you said, their young side, I'm not worried about their future either. Their season's just about shot. They'll, they still should beat North Melbourne. But having said that, if they don't turn up to play and bring that same, bring the right intensity, North could get away from them because they can use the ball, but North have got a few injury problems themselves. Well, let's talk about them too. Uh, they have a really long injury list. Charlie Combin, ankle, eight to ten weeks. Aiden Corse suspended. That's very untimely. Paul Curtis, quad injury. He'll be tested. Luke Davies-Uniak injured a hammy down in Tassie last week. He's out for at least three weeks. Jack Marnie, shoulder injury, out for the season. Flynn Perez, concussion, one to two weeks. Tom Powell, ankle injury, tested. Darcy Tucker, hamstring, one week. Tristan Zeri, he's been injured all season. He's another two weeks away. Lockie Young, concussion. And Cam Zerha, probably another week. So, I mean, no side in the uh, competition has less, I guess, player stocks in the Ruse. And, and they've lost all their what passes for key players in their lineup as well. So, uh, this could be a nil wall draw, Rocket. No, I was going to use that as well. It could be a real battling game. So, um, yeah, but I still think the Swans, their top-end talent, their best five or six they got on the ground will be better than North's best five or six. I think there'll be a lot of errors. There'll be a lot of mistakes. Heaney's another player. We spoke about him. He was a little bit better last week, but he's got to stand up now with Mills out. They've got to throw him through the middle rather than just use him. Now, I think they've got to use him as a Dugowie type. Mm. They just you generally use him as forward. I know they worry about kicking goals, but he he has got to play midfield going forward, and he's got to give them a lift. But I, I still think they're going to have too much talent, and I th- I think they'll win by about twenty five points. Well, Heaney on the ball, it's a way of just sort of restoring a bit of confidence and touch to a player when he's sort of been frozen out of it a bit, and that to me is one of the issues for Heaney. So. Sydney, 25 points. You're saying, I'm going to go, uh, I reckon, yeah, I'm going to up the ante a bit there. I'm going to go for Sydney by 36 points. That's the first game on Saturday afternoon. And uh, I'm going to do this crappy joke again. There's another one on Saturday on Mars. Ah, yes, I hear you say that old line. Uh, Bulldogs playing Adelaide in Ballarat, of course. 
the uh, suitably, no, not suitably named, Mars Stadium is the official name of that venue now. 2.10pm is the kickoff. The Bulldogs, six on the ladder now uh, at six and three after four wins in a row and a really good win over Carlton last Saturday night. They dominated that game, survived a withering comeback by the Blues and kicked away again when it mattered to win by 20 points. And the Crows, they are back in the eight, five and four after their best win of the season, I reckon, beating St Kilda by 52 points. And uh, they've got considerable firepower up forward now. Bulldogs and Adelaide, they've only played seven times in the last seven seasons. It's one of those... um, see you next decade sort of <laughs> scenarios. And the scoreline in those seven clashes is 4-3 to the Western Bulldogs. And uh, how do the Bulldogs perform on Mars? Their record there is 6-3 and three wins and losses, which uh, rockets far better than their record on Jupiter, Saturn and Pluto, where, uh, frankly, they've been very ordinary for a long time now. I'm just talking dribble here, so uh, take us away on this one. Um, and last time they played, uh, Adelaide won. Uh, oh, Mars, a point. That's right. Yeah, up there. So I think um, I'm actually going to pick the Bulldogs because it's supposed to be wet, uh, playing at Mars. Uh, it'll be ordinary conditions. Adelaide, to me, have have got some mental strength as well as being a young side. But I think I think with Duday out, um, travelling, I, I, I think, I think the dogs will win. Having said that, I think Adelaide can have a major say in the final series. I think they'll make the finals, and I think they can be a real threat uh, when they when they when, when they get there. They were super impressive last week. Um, as you said, their forward line is has got goal scoring power all across it. We were worried about their midfield at the start of the year, but the number of pl- Dawson obviously going there has added a bit. But the number of players that are able to throw the, through there who are unknown really, Pedler and Scolio and. These players, they you now. Then obviously Rochelle, uh, Rankin. So they've got some real good talent. The thing that impresses me, and I said it weeks ago, and they only just lost to Collingwood, and probably shouldn't have lost that game to Collingwood. And Collingwood only lost one for the year. So their form was really good, and they'd be ruining the game they lost against the Giants round one. But their ability to use the ball by foot, they're as good at kicking <clears> terms <throat> as I've seen for a long, long time. And <clears> they and they do it on the run. They now they. Will tempo the game, but gee, the ability to hit a target while in motion um, is as good as I've seen for a long time. And they they are a fantastic kicking side, and, and they handball the ball well. So I think uh, the wet conditions won't suit that, and I think it'll suit the dogs. But overall, I'm really impressed with the Adelaide team. Yeah, Ditto. You know what I'd argue with them? that I, I know I go on about this a bit, but their gradual development over four years under Knicks I think is really impressive. I mean, we've seen them go from three wins to seven wins to eight wins to uh, five wins already now. But I was looking at their their list demographics the other night and it's the fact that they're, it, it's really it's a really well-balanced list. Mm. So you've got the veterans who are still playing great. I mean, playing really like Taylor Walker and Brody Smith at the moment. S- Smith was best on ground last week. I, mean, I thought he was fantastic last week, Smith. Walker, Laird. Yeah, Earl Laird's the other one. Yeah, but then you've got that next tier of guys who've now played for a good four or five years, and and the you know the likes of of Fogarty, um, uh, who else is in that bracket? Uh, you know, Chase Jones, um, and and they're now established parts of that side, and and the next sort of generation of leaders. And then you've got the newer players, 
and you mentioned a few of them there. You know, um, yeah. Saligo so, so, so has been really good. Yeah. They just keep yeah. bobbing up. Pedler, he's really impressive, yeah. isn't he? Yeah, but you have a look at even Liam Murphy, who's been there for a few years, and Duday, we know, is a really good player. They're that sort of middle-age bracket, so they've got a good balance. Um, but two things, and I think I think recruiting always say that they're the most important person in the club, but they've recruited well. But they must have developed well, also. I mean, you can you can put a good player, a good young player, into an environment, and they don't don't and they don't improve at all. But they've seemed to have both. Uh, they've recruited some good talent, as well as being able to develop that good talent. And uh, yeah, they're I think exciting times for the Crows. But I just don't think they'll win this game because of the conditions and the environment they're going to. And yeah, no, I tend to I tend to with it. The other thing for me with the Bulldogs here is I'm really big on this one. I reckon when the Bulldogs hit a patch of form. They tend to maintain it. They don't tend to go up and down as quickly as some sides. And I, I feel like they're on a roll. And to that end, uh, had Carlton continued to keep coming and pinch that game last week, that could have been a really pivotal, damagingly pivotal moment in their season. But that sort of final kick they got and uh, who contributed to that? Well, Artie Jones, I think. I was going to say, that's a, that's a really good sign for having a young player like that, probably involved in their last four score involvements. And yeah. Uh, and be able to stand up, and he's a live wire. Um, helps Waitman as well. I'm yep. having two of them. People say you can only play one. No, you can play two or three of them. You know, they've got speed, and they've got class and the ability to kick a goal. So, you know, I think, and I think playing lob on a wing uh, was a good move. And I think that's the sort of move that probably should have been done a while ago. I think he's a type of player for me, and I don't know him at all. And some players do react positively to be moved around. So it takes the pressure off them. Yeah. I don't think he's a player that likes to be the number one person and has the pressure on him. I don't think he responds to that. But a little bit the ruck, a little bit forward, throw him a little bit on the wing, mix it up. I think he reacts in a positive way, and I think I think it's a really good move from Beveridge. And uh, they've got guys coming back too, so they have had injury issues. I mean, Jones and Waitman, early in the season when they were struggling to kick goals, a big factor in that had to be the absence of those little crumbing types at the feet of that tall timber we talked about. It's funny how we spent all pre-season talking about their tall forward line. It really hasn't been effective for them. Uh, but in terms of personnel, they've got Josh Bruce potentially coming back to bolster that defence. Uh, Rourke Smith, oh, he's still a few weeks away. Adam Trelaw, remember, has done a hammy, so he'll be back in a couple of weeks. I, I think things are starting to look really good for the doggies. And like I said, when they hit form, they tend to maintain it. And uh, the game's on Mars. As you say, the Crows did win there by a point last year. So that'll uh, probably hold them in good stead in terms of reconnaissance. But I think the Doggies win this one narrowly. I think it'll be a pretty good game, actually. And uh, see if the weather plays a part in this one. It does get pretty cold and damp up on Mars. I might have to send back a few shots from the uh, space camera there. I'm going for the Bulldogs. Jeez, I'm going with some crap, don't I? Uh, I'm going to go for the Bulldogs to win this one by eight points. What say you? I was, yeah, I was going to go nine points. I think it'll be a close one. I think the conditions in Ballarat lend itself to be a close game, a low-scoring game. So it'll be windy. Uh, it's difficult to score, which may suit um, the Crows because good kicking comes to the fore with bad conditions. Uh, but I think the Bulldogs' handball game in those conditions and having played there before, I think they can win, to win this in a close one. All right, uh, nine points. To, uh, for the doggies, for you, Rocket, eight points for me. Let's talk about the Twilight game on Saturday.
4.35 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Optus Stadium, Perth is the venue for this one, so 2.35 over there. And it is between Fremantle this week in St. Doug Nichols' round uh, known as Wallyalup and one of those <laughs> WA place names that end in UP. Which, yeah, uh, up on the up and up. Yeah, it's uh, water, I think, in... Uh, uh, I, was, I shouldn't say indigenous language because there's lots of them, but uh, our WA place names ending in up is I'm pretty sure it's water. Something to do with water. Now, they are playing the Cats. Uh, Frio, 12th on the ladder, uh, having restored their fortunes in the last couple of weeks, four and five now after winning their last two, and a good win for them at the SCG over the Swans by 17 points. And the Cats, um, a stumble last week. They are seventh. Uh, and 5-4 after losing to the Tigers by 24 points. Uh, missing a few personnel at the moment, though, the Cats, which we'll get to. Uh, Frio and Geelong. Geelong have won six of the last eight against the Dockers. Uh, although, last time they met, Frio, almost unbelievably, beat um, the Cats at GMHBA Stadium by three points. That doesn't happen. Often Fremantle on their home deck are eleven and six since the start of last year. Uh, Geelong they don't mind it there. They are four and five in the history of Optus Stadium, which is now into its sixth season of use. Well, uh, this shapes as a more interesting contest than you would have said a week ago, Rocket. After probably Frio's best win of the season, and the Cats uh, not panic stations by any means, but the Cats lowering their colours to the Tigers. Yeah, I, yeah, that uh, it was an interesting one for the catch. I think their injuries and that have started to catch up with them. So probably with my selection, Rowan, if you can just give an update on the injuries first, because I think the Fremantle Dockers are, are a good chance for this game, to be honest. Well, let's have a look at it. Hey, Chapman, uh, he has a hamstring injury. He is five weeks away. Josh Corbett, concussion, and uh, he will be tested. And the Orazio Fantasia uh, Memorial Injury List, Matt Taberner, is the Dockers' representative. Who is that other guy who you said is on the Memorial Injury List? We just talked about it before. Uh, yeah. How's <laughs> my memory going? How's uh, my go? Well, they never play. They're always injured. Yeah. We'll get back to that one. But Matt Taberner is the Dockers' representative on that one. He's got a back injury and he is now TBA. Uh, that doesn't augur well for him. But um, pretty injury-free, the Dockers. Now, Chapman and Tabin are really the only serious concerns on that list. Uh, Corbett coming out of concussion protocols this week. And the Cats, meanwhile, injuries are a big factor for them. So Jack Bowes, calf, he's a short-term injury. Brad Close, well, he returns from suspension, so they welcome him back. Dangerfield Hemi, a uh, few weeks away yet. Uh, Sam DeConing, face injury, uh, still not likely to come back. Cam Guthrie, that turf toe we talked about last week. Jack Henry, he just hasn't played at all. Uh, foot injury, medium term. Sam Menegola, another forgotten man. Knee injury, medium term. Gary Rowan, hamstring injury. Reese Stanley, eye socket. Tyson Stengel, arm injury. None of them coming back. So... And there's, Ollie, and there's Ollie Henry with the ruptured testicle during the week. Oh, true, correct, true. Uh, and he will miss a couple. So, boy, they're missing some personnel. In fact, yeah. the significance of who they've got out is probably as much as the length of mm -hmm. that injury was to the Cats. And the other player it? we're thinking of was Sam Reed. Ah, that was it, yes. Yeah, Sam Reed. Well, I think he's 
think he holds the title over Fantasia, but Fantasia's catching up quickly. Um, <laughs> I think with those injuries, I was, I think with Matt Taverner out, and you say it was a big loss, but I think these younger players last week, you know, you know Joy Amiss and uh, uh, Tracy, they, yep. they they work well with Jackson, and Jackson played well again last week, and I, I thought their their forward system worked extremely well. Brayshaw is getting back to some form. Uh, Sarong's a really good player. Fife has now had two games uh, as the sub. Does he come in? He's getting some match uh, some match fitness. Uh, I thought at times they allowed Sydney to score a bit too quickly. Um, that was my only concern about um, uh, through the middle. Now I know it's a small ground. That probably that probably suits that uh, if you get a quick break. Pierce will take Cameron. Last week uh, Broad did a really good job on Cameron. Pierce has got the athleticism to run with. You've got to go with Cameron up the ground. You can't afford to let him. Most forwards, when they go up the ground, defenders will drop off, like Stephen May and Lever will just let them go no matter who they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with Cameron, he's you can't afford to do that because he'll end up getting two or three possessions, handball here, quick kick, and then run the full, mm-hmm. and it's very difficult to catch him. So I think Pierce will take Cameron. Um, yeah, I, I might go for the Dockers. I, I think... Just with the form they've shown the last two weeks, they're moving the ball a lot more quickly, which they've got to. They've adjusted a bit late uh, to the way the game has to be played nowadays, but they've got some dangerous forward line. Frederick, Swatowski, they've got some speed as well. Their pressure last week was enormous, especially to chase down from behind. I think if they can bring that again, I know that I know Geelong will play a kick-catch game. They'll just kick and mark and try and sieve uh, Fremantle, but uh, they can't afford to allow that uncontested marks. If they if they defend well, I think they can win them. You know, pick them in a close one. You know, every week now, I'm, I'm going to come up with some big bombshell, like I'm going to tip Fremantle, and you come in and you, you cut my lunch by going first. Well, you go first, and I'll go second. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, look, echoes my thoughts exactly. Uh, they're really impressive against the Swans, and they've, they've got a bit of flow back into their game. They don't look as yeah, stagnant. They're moving a bit more quickly. And I really, um, just on that forward setup, I really like Jai Amos. He's impressive, isn't he? Uh, yeah, and, and young Tracy took some really good marks last week. And it looks, just reading between, re- reading some articles, and he's only 19 or 20, how aggressive he is, which I think is a really good sign. So having him as an aggressive guy that will attack the contest, Jai Amos, I was really disappointed in the way he kicks for goal. He misses too many goals. He takes two steps. He he has got to convert. He's got to get a bit more of a a, a kicking routine. He's 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 nearly as bad as Harry Mackay. Um, I'll tell you what he does need. To, he needs to get a new haircut because yeah, yeah, I'm a does, bit obsessed yeah. with this one. But every time I see Jai Amos, I keep thinking he looks like a page boy out of Game of Thrones. He's got that yeah. sort of medieval page boy haircut. Yeah. yeah. I keep thinking he should be riding along on horseback behind Daenerys. You know. But I think all three. Add something different. Jackson's that height and athleticism. Jai is, is a leading player. Like he looks a smaller type, but he leads well. He times and and Tracy's an athlete, but a, a guy who attacks the contest aggressively. So they've got they've got a really good mix. So, but I, yeah, I'm going to pick him by 11 points. I knew that Game of Thrones gag had synced with our Tracy. You haven't watched it, have you? No. Don't watch it. I'm too, too old, mate. <laughs> it's a great show, Rocket. Get into it. I watched Breaking Bad about 15 years after that came out, and it was still good. All yeah. right. Um, Fremantle by how much, sorry? Uh, 11 points. 11 points. Uh, I am going for the Dockers as well. I think, um, yeah, it's a tough time for the Cats. I'm not worried about them, but they've just got to hang in there until some of these 
the cattle come back. So I'm going to go for Frio by the narrowest, well, nearly the narrowest margins. I'm going for the Dockers by two points. Well, it's a big uh, Q clash or battle of the something or other, or I don't know, whatever they dress these derbies up Battle of the surf. (laughs) Battle of the surf, yeah, okay. Uh, The puberty (laughs) blues clash or something. Um, It is Brisbane playing Gold Coast at the Gabba, Saturday evening, 7.30pm. And, uh, well, both sides on the up, uh, particularly the Lions, they are third on the ladder, 7-2. Six wins in a row now with Port Adelaide, the longest winning, current winning streak. And a good win for them over Essendon by 42 points last week. And Gold Coast, they're starting to put some good footy together, up to 11th on the ladder and 4-5 and five after absolutely smashing West Coast in Perth by 70 points. Brisbane have been absolutely dominant in these Q clashes, they rocket. They have won the last eight meetings. The Suns' last win over the Lions was all the way back in 2018. Uh, Gold Coast at the Gabba, pretty miserable record there for them overall. Just three wins over the journey and 15 losses. And Brisbane, well, this is, uh, it's starting to rival Geelong in terms of the most pronounced home ground advantage in the competition the Lions have won 43 of their last 51 games at the Gabba since the start of 2019. It is absolutely the Gabbatois, as pronounced a home ground advantage as at any time in their storied history. Uh, short injury lists are both, so not really a factor. Um, any chance for the Suns here, do you reckon? Uh, yeah, they've got a chance. Got a chance. I, I think the rivalry is real there. I think Brisbane... Uh, are the better side at this stage and playing at home. So all the factors are in their favour. Um, Miller, I think, would still be out. He's, uh, he's probably the, the key injury that they've they've got the Suns. But really, the the Lions are in really good form, dangerous up forward. Um, and I think with, and we mentioned it last week, with Danaher and Hipfoot being able to get up the ground as well, that takes Collins and Ballard away from and they're really strong at holding their ground so a bit like the Jeremy Cameron one do they sit back and hold and let Danaher and Hipwood just go which Danaher can kick goals from 60 I wouldn't allow that I'd probably allow Hipwood but I certainly wouldn't allow Danaher's but taking Ballard then up it exposes the rest of their defense because I think they get good coverage from him um, but overall I think Neil's in solid form without being great Dunk is in good form Zorko's playing okay at the moment. I, I I just can't see the Suns toppling uh, the Lions, but I think it'll be a lot closer than what some other teams have played there this year. I think one of the um, things Chris Fagan and co would be really happy about is that, I mean, last week, a really good example, Charlie Cameron was really kept out of it by uh, Andy McGrath. Great um, checking job on Cameron McGrath did, but it didn't matter because Joe Danner bobbed up with, with six goals and, and looking absolutely imperious. I guess we talk about this a lot, don't we? We have the, we do have this idea of Joe and Hipwood being a little bit flaky. Can they get on a roll and produce this that sort of form week in, week out? That's going to be the issue for them ultimately in, in the finals, isn't it? It is. And I think it depends on the expectations. You can't expect Joe Danaher to kick six goals in a final. He might. But if he can kick chip in with a couple of goals, uh, you've got Cameron, and we've spoken about you've got Hipwood, uh, got Rayner, Zach Bailey. So they've got some talent. Not rival Adelaide, but they're close enough to it up there. So they've got different options. And 
there's going to be some weeks where Cameron will kick his six and, and Danaher won't kick in. But if they can share that load and have some some different options with some midfielders chipping in, they're a really dangerous forward line. So I think it's going to be difficult for most teams to uh, to be able to cover. Well, we talked about the injury list. They're, they're pretty short at both of these clubs. In fact, for Brisbane, uh, Daniel Rich, pretty much the only one. A calf injury, uh, still a week away at least. Uh, Gold Coast, well... I don't know what's going on with the medical staff there. They can't be stuffed doing an estimate of when anyone's coming back. So they've got the old TBC against everyone. I think Gee. um I think they've got Jared Brennan and Campbell Brown on that injury list. <laughs> TBC Rocket. Uh that's a bit of a worry. No, I'm joking. Ben Ainsworth, Cork Thigh, Connor Butterick, knee injury, Nick Holman, foot injury, Took Miller, obviously the big one there. Uh, but a TBC on him as well. So uh more information as it comes to hand on the Suns injury list. Uh, what are you going here? I'm presuming you're tipping Brisbane. What's the margin, you reckon? Uh, yeah, I think it'll be a bit close. I think it'll be a, a tight contest to three-quarter time, but I can see the home crowd having it, and, and it is real. Um, and current advantage, they, it, it does get the players up and about. I think be tight, but I think in the end, they'll be able to win by 21 points. 21 points. Well, that... Uh, I mean, of course, you've got to win, but that would be a respectable sort of effort by the Suns. Um, so let's see if they can push the lines all the way. Uh, I think it might be no, oh, no. I think it'll be around the same mark. I'm going for Brisbane, thirty points. I think they might win, pulling up, might get the job done early, and then just uh, hold the Suns at bay. And we might see a bit of that over the mid part of the season, going on the sides pace themselves through this six month marathon. <laughs> It's the Dreamtime game, uh, a showpiece uh, clash this always, and the pre-game stuff that goes on with the Dreamtime game is always terrific. I saw a, um, a news item just before we started recording this rocket. Michael Wong, I think, is going to uh, perform an Archie Roach song, so um, some right. really special moments there. I remember the Tigers' pre-game routine with their Indigenous players last year was, was uh, terrific, really special stuff, so... Get there early if you're planning to go. Will be a massive crowd uh, somewhere in the eighty thousands at least. You'd reckon. Seven forty p.m. is the kickoff. Essendon. Well, I certainly come back to the field. Four losses in a row now. Four and five, and they are tenth after that forty-two point loss to the Lions. Uh, Richmond. Well, have they turned things around? Was that win over the Cats um, a sign of better things to come? They're still thirteenth on the ladder. The three wins and a draw now after that 24-point win over Geelong. This is, uh, pretty sure this is now the longest uninterrupted uh, dominance of one side over another that exists in the AFL. Richmond have won the last 13 games against Essendon now. Essendon's last win over the Tigers in 2014. Rocket Tom Hafey still coaching Richmond <laughs> at that stage. No, he wasn't, but it felt like it. Um, Essendon's record at the G, pretty miserable. They are just two wins from 12 games at the G since the start of last season. Um, Richmond, of course, we know they love the ground, but uh, not as successful there in recent times. They are 13-6 and a draw at the ground since the start of 2022. Uh, Bombers, again, another side that injuries are just blowing asunder at the moment. Um, I'll ask you this, though. Do you think that win over the Cats was a real turning point for Richmond or just a, a reminder of how good their best can be when they produce it? Um, I, I think it's a turning point. I think 
Uh, I don't think they can fall for the trap and say, oh, we're back. Um, we're back to the old because personnel's changed. The game's changed. They, you know, their loss to the Suns the other week was really disappointing for them. Um, and I think that'll cost them in the end. But it was a really good win last week. Obviously, they played their normal way, got back. And I think personnel helps that. You know, Prestia back and you know, they have a Graham back. Uh, Broad has been back for a few. Did a great job on Cameron last week. Martin started to return to some form. And he needs that with, with Lynch out. They, they, you know, they need some goal-kicking options. I think with Essendon, and we've spoken about that, what a tough month they've had. Um, injuries are starting to hurt, especially down back. I, I think the Tigers can <clears throat> not so much get on a roll, but I reckon they can win this one. But they've, they can't afford to think, oh, it's just going to happen now because I don't think it's going to just roll on. I think they just need to keep working hard. Um, and I think they can get the job done this week. Let's talk about those injuries. And uh, I guess there's an argument, Essendon's uh, injuries to the defensive structure of less consequence this week than last week because there's no... Danner and Hipwood for the Tigers at the moment uh, with Lynch out, of course, and Jack uh, Rewalt sort of more of a, a support cast member these days. But there is a chance um, Ridley gets back from concussion and Kelly uh, back from concussion as well. So fingers crossed on that one. Um, who are some of the other injuries up there? Or Zach Reed? Oh, he's another one. I'm just writing him down too. Zach Reed on the Orazio Fantasia Memorial injury. Or Sam Reed, he must be a relation. <laughs> I don't tell you what. I'll tell you what. Oh God, he just never plays. Um, and yeah, in but, fact, but it's interesting on that though. And I know they're having a review that three yeah. of the young players are having back problems or stress fracture in the back. So, is it is it the program? Is it the weights? Are they putting too heavier weights? or the technique of putting too much, trying to put too much size on too quickly. Um, yep. So only their internal review will find that out. But but it's a reasonable point. Uh, it's more than coincidence, isn't it? Oh, it has to be. And, um, you know, Reed uh, and Cox, two of those highly touted draft picks and uh, obviously plenty of potential, but they're just not getting on the park. So, yeah, that was, a, that was an interesting one. They were two of those injuries. The other one, of course, Harrison Jones, who has also missed a lot of footy. So got to ask the question. Funnily enough, though, for all the tours that are out, and Peter Wright, of course, uh, hasn't played all, all season, and that's been very costly. But the one that could really cost them the most, probably, I think, over the next few weeks, is Darcy Parrish. Um, calf injury. And uh, he's obviously given it a, a serious uh, ping because they're talking about four weeks for him. That's even after missing last week. And again... The the good footy that Essendon's played, uh, and you can talk about you know this player's contributing and that one is bobbed up, but for me the 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 crux of Essendon's good form still on a week to week basis re- revolves around two players Zach Merritt and Darcy Parrish. They they have been indispensable parts of any good performance Essendon's had, and and Parrish is not there, so it ups the ante on the likes of Dylan Shield, who has been good this season. But he's just got to go to another level. And Essendon doesn't have the depth where they can afford to cover the loss of Parrish at the moment. Simple. No, no, he's been a really good player this year, hasn't he? And it'll put more pressure on Merritt. So teams can go to Merritt now and not worry about Parrish. So he cops that. Cordwell's got to stand up. Setterfield's got to stand up. Shield's got to stand up. So those three GWS players of all, ex-GWS players, have all got to be able to grab the mantle and do something. Um, so it'll be interesting interesting to see. But I, I just think with Parrish out 
Um, their troubles down back. Not that uh, Richmond's forward line is a, a super imposing height-wise, um, but I, I think the Tigers will get the job done. Well, to Richmond's injury is still considerable too. Don't uh, get us wrong on this one. And I don't know if everyone is awake to this one. There's so many injuries going on in footy at the moment that's hard to stay across them all. But Jacob Hopper, um, he has suffered a strain to the soleus portion of his calf, which is in the lower portion of the leg, I'm told, by the AFL calf doctor. Can't yeah, remember it's actually his name. Soleus, so it's oh, the soleus muscle is the one... Uh, that's the one you don't want to do. There's two calf muscles, so that's the one you don't want to do and uh, it's to do with, um, uh, obviously, the running, but uh, more, um, not so much the sprint, but the aerobic type thing. So it'll be aware. So that'll be a, a big one. Yeah. Well, the, yeah. the time frame on Hopper, uh, absolute minimum four weeks and potentially up to six weeks. So yeah. just when they're turning things around. And the other one, I know I keep banging on about this, but I reckon that this guy's an indispensable part of their best 22 because of that forward line pressure, Morris Rioli Jr. Um, and uh, he may be back next week, but probably still a couple of weeks away. And um, bad news to Josh Gibkes too, who is a good young player. He was poised to make his return to VFL last weekend, but uh, suffered a setback to a different spot in his problematic hamstring on Friday and didn't play. So that uh, return has been delayed as well. Tom Lynch, Still six weeks away. I don't know. Geez, I don't know what stage if we're going to see him again at all this season. If Richmond are going to miss the finals, they might end up putting the queue in the rack with uh, Tom Lynch. Uh, and then Curvis, how far is Yeah, I was going to say ankle injury, and he's got a test. So uh, that'd be a good one back. In fact, the ruck, the ruck could be an interesting um, uh, part of the ground in this one because Sam Draper and Andrew Phillips are uh, pretty disappointing last week and so both of them need a lift uh i think sammy draper uh he's highly touted but he hasn't been playing well the last few weeks so he needs a lift as well um i can't see it good occasion this uh, when i say i can't see it i can't see essendon winning this one i think richmond have turned a corner um i don't think they'll win by a lot but i reckon they'll win by enough i'm going for the tigers by 22 points what do you reckon yeah i think the tigers by 25 i think um I don't think they've got enough class to smash aside, but I think if they continue to work hard like they did last week and have a system and a plan, I think they can get the job done. So, yeah, it's them for me. So 13 wins in a row, poised to become 14 wins in a row for Richmond over Essendon. All right, that's Saturday. Uh, Let's talk about the games on the card on Sunday. Well, I'd like to say a showstopper, but I can't because it's, it's not, let's be honest. Hawthorne playing West Coast on Sunday afternoon, one ten, Utah Stadium in Launceston. The Hawks last on the ladder, 1-8, and eight, six losses in a row. West Coast second last on the ladder, seven losses in a row. Uh, Hawthorne up against West Coast. They've met nine times since that 2015 grand final. The Hawks won and the scoreline 5-4 to the Eagles. Uh, Hawthorne's record at Launceston isn't what it used to be. They're 3-3 there since the start of last year. And West Coast have only won there twice and lost five times their last win at the venue back in 2005. West Coast injury list, ridiculous as usual. In fact, I will do this again. I'll just read the names. Burgeel, Cole, Cripps, Cully, Darling, Jones, McGovern, 
Natanui, Petrovsky, Seaton, Ryan, Shuey, Williams, Winder, Yo, Warsfold, Jakovic, McKenna, uh, Todd Bremen. Uh, won't no, come on, I'm just taking the you know what now. <laughs> uh, that is a ridiculous injury list. Um, and now Darling, uh, expected to miss a month after a fracture in that left forearm, had to actually go back on the ground and play with that because of all the other injuries. Uh, yeah, it's just hard times for the Eagles. Hawthorne, we've talked about this a bit. They even when they're getting belted, there's those little glimmers of hope for the future for the uh, for the Hawks, and and there's a clear plan there. So uh, Jeff, he'll be out for a week after a calf strain. Ward will miss a second week with a foot issue. Um, Ned Reeves may be coming back though after being a late withdrawal against Melbourne. Um, yeah, they weren't that impressive against the Demons, to be honest, but still those little moments where you think, I can see a future for the Hawks. Are you still positive about them, Rocket? I was certainly positive about the future, long-term future. Um, even when they were going reasonably okay earlier in the year, they, I said they'll get belted at times, and, and Melbourne are a really good side. They, you know, they, they were shell-shocked early again in that game. But I, I can't see them losing this game uh, with the number of injuries the West Coast have got but also travelling to Tasmania. It's a big travel for them. Um, Hawthorne have shown some good signs. I, I, I certainly don't think Hawthorne will finish last. I think the Harley Reed Cup will be between North Melbourne and West Coast. Um, so I, I think the Hawks have got enough system, got enough talent uh, to win this game. Um, it'll be interesting, the mental state of young players, it's, it's all a learning curve experiences um, that you go through, but... There'll be favourites for this game. How they cope with being favourites? Do they lose the plot of? I uh, think the scoreboard's got to tick over. So it's all the all the mind games. But I think I think going to Tassie, uh, they're comfortable there, um, and and with West Coast trouble at the moment, and and Darling Abbey, even though he hasn't been in good form, at least it's a, a bigger body who can kick some goals. Um, I think the I think the Hawks Hawks will be able to win this game. Just you mentioned the Harley Reid Cup, uh, boy. How much pressure is it going to be on that kid when he actually plays league footy? I've never heard yeah. a draft prospect talked about the way he's been. No, I, I've spoken to a couple of recruiters that, that they reckon there's daylight between him and second. Mm. So we generally, you know, when Chris Judd went, there was the three that were spoken about, Hodge, Ball and and uh, Judd. And generally, even when Dacos, there was, there was two or three mentioned. Um, Ashcroft last year, there was three or four mentioned in around the same, you no know, Sheasel and a few others, but there seems to be a fair fair gap between Reed and the rest at, at this stage. Well, West Coast, I was watching that game against Gold Coast and the way they just got taken apart after the first quarter. And it was every every time you think, geez, this is the lowest point in their history. I know Adrian Barrich uh, played in a couple of barren years for them and he was sort of begging to differ, but... I can't think of a lower point in their history than this. You know, getting smashed by 70 points at home against Gold Coast. Your list is in disrepair. Your injury list just keeps growing by the week. Um, that's it. We, we talked about draft assistance. In all seriousness, I just don't know how West Coast turns this situation around for the longer term. Do you? No, I don't. And, it's, and we've spoken about that with the, you know, the Tassie team coming in, the concessions and I think they're in a world of pain for a long period of time. I think uh, it could be minimum five or six years before they even become anywhere near getting a final spot, let alone anywhere else. And uh, 
Uh, no, I think uh, they're in a in a world of pain, and um, I can see them finishing down near the bottom for at least the next two or three years. Yeah, miserable times for the Eagles. Uh, all right, what's your tip in this one? I think the Hawks by twenty nine points. Yes, great minds thinking alike again. I'm going for Hawthorne by twenty eight points. Uh, so that is uh, a pretty unappetising clash, it's got to be said. But uh, this next one we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I pumped it up. I was channeling a bit of Uncle Doug Elliott there, uh, building this one up, Rocket. But uh, this is one of those games that you say, no matter where they are on the ladder, uh, and it's a big game for both of them, Carlton and Collingwood, 3.20pm Sunday afternoon at the MCG. Hollywood absolutely flying at the moment. Top of the ladder, uh, eight and one, five wins in a row after beating up on GWS by 65 points. Actually, watch that one from boundary level, and they were super impressive. Uh, the Blues, well, they gave it a, a good crack against the Bulldogs in the end after just one goal in the first half, but they are outside the eight in ninth spot and 4-4-1 after that 20-point loss to the Doggies. Collingwood have dominated this meeting. They've won seven of the last eight, uh, but just squeaking over the line in both clashes last year by one point and four points. And uh, what I love about the Blues and the uh, Pies Rocket is two foundation clubs of the league, but they are so neck and neck in terms of head-to-head. Carlton, 128 wins. Collingwood, 130 wins and four draws. The other venue here, the uh, sorry, the other factor here, the venue, Carlton at the MCG, five wins, five losses, and a draw since the start of last year. Collingwood, absolutely dominant on this ground. They have won 16 of their last 17 games on the MCG, and the other one lost by only six points. Uh, and they are absolutely flying the pies. Massive clash, uh, massive game this one for the Blues, though, isn't it? They have got to win this one. Do you give them much of a, t- a hope? I'd give them a hope. Um, I think they showed a little bit last week, the second half against the Dogs, moving the ball more quickly. Um, they still don't see have a great system going forward. Um, um, so they still play a contested game. I think where, where they'll get beaten is on the outside. Collingwood will compete enough inside, but their ability to move the ball quickly, but get the ball to the outside and, and run them with speed. Um, the Carlton just lack speed, lack speed all that, except for Saad really off a half-back flank. Doherty at times has got some good run. Um, Fisher's been out, but he's got some speed. But they're small forwards, and we mentioned before, uh, they don't do enough. And they, you know, dude, I, I always looked up dangerous coming out of the goal square, a uh, couple of goals. Um, but Mackay should be, he should be kicking three or four goals a week. Kuno, they don't know where to play him, as in up the ground, or do they play him in the goal square? He, he's certainly the most dangerous forward they've got. Um, but overall, I, I don't. Even if Collingwood have a down day, I don't see. I don't see Carlton actually winning this game. That issue up forward is a big one, isn't it? I mean, I would have thought you know Mackay is sort of the natural one to play closer to goal, and you get Kuno to work. Up outside the um, outside the fifty and the small forwards. Last year, when they were looking good early in the season, you were getting week in week out contributions from Owies and Durden. I don't mind Owies at all, but Durden, 
I'm not sure he's really a factor. The other one for them is leg speed around the middle of the ground. Uh, to that end, Jack Martin uh, may make his return to uh, footy after a calf injury in the VFL this week. Uh, Cunningham, bit of a forgotten man. Uh, he's perhaps one or two weeks away. Uh, some hope that De Koning, who's been in concussion protocols, may return to the action soon. But, uh, yeah, you look at Collingwood and uh, they have that weak speed and outside advantage over um, the Blues, don't they? And we talked about their big man issues, but Darcy Cameron closing in on a return after an injury. And, uh, well, they didn't miss him last week because Mason Cox, he does get talked about a lot. But that, to me, was clearly the best game of his career. And, you know, obviously not the importance of that storied preliminary final, but uh, in terms of a four-quarter effort, that's the best I've seen him play last week. He was really confident and, and quite dominant and uh, yeah, pretty, pretty good yeah, player. He was. He, yeah, he really imposed himself on the game, didn't he? And he's marking. He looks as if his marking's becoming a real strength now, where before he hit his hands to it, but he would never hold it. Um, the other aspect of Carlton, they've got, they've got to get some more speed, but I reckon their forward line, and this is not a knock on Silvani, because I reckon he's a, he works hard and he gives them a backup ruck and does all that sort of stuff. But their third tool needs to be the Jack Gunston type. They need to have a third option. They've got the two tools and then they've got all smalls. And then Silvani comes in there. But Silvani doesn't really trouble the scoreboard. He's not quick. Um, he's a hard worker and got good courage and all that sort of stuff. But he's he's not a he's not, he's a not an impact player, player, is he? No, not at all. And they need someone like even we talked about Fremantle, they're three forwards, even though they're young. They're all different and they're, they can go to any of them. Um, and they need another player they can go to rather than just Kurnow and Mackay. Mackay doesn't kick enough goals, as we mentioned. So there's a downer. So they've got one and a half forwards in many ways, Carlton. So they they need to recruit that type of mid-sized player, even a third tour, but it's athletic enough, can go around and can share the load and becomes more dangerous. And I think they rely so much on those two big guys that uh, I think it's unhealthy, to be honest. Um, you have a look at Geelong, you know, people say they rely on Cameron and Hawkins, but other players, Rowan, when he's playing, chips in, the smalls chip in. Uh, they have a balance there of, uh, of more danger players. Couldn't agree more. And, and you know, I was thinking this with, uh, I think I was thinking about Melbourne. The, the really good sides have that variety of player types, don't they, in all parts of the ground. And for Carlton, uh, it's all about the midfield. It's such a stodgy midfield. And they really lack a bit of dash and a bit of explosiveness and a bit of X factor. They just they just don't yeah. have it. Those and, and what they try and do, because they're all similar, they try and find one of them in another position. Like they've tried Kennedy of halfback. He's not a halfback. He's not good enough kicking, not quick enough. Walsh is a, probably the player they could play in another spot, but he's so good in around the ball. Whether they play him as a high forward, it goes into the midfield from that forward position and becomes an extra midfielder. Can add another thing. Cripps, need, Cripps probably needs to go forward a bit more. Maybe that third tall is a danger as a danger player. Um, so they, and that's what they should have done against Brisbane with Dunkley. Take him forward. But they didn't they didn't do anything different. They got so much faith in Chris because he's a Brownlow medalist and captain and a great player. But they've got to throw different things up at the opposition. And I don't think they do that enough. No, it's a proverbial sort of robbing Peter to pay Paul scenario with those midfielders. All right, give us a uh, tip and a margin, please. I think Collingwood will win in the end going away by 31 points. Ooh. Yeah, okay. Uh, confident. Uh, I, I, look, I, 
I think the Blues will rise to the challenge. I mean, it really the Pies do really bring the best of them out. They nearly upset them twice last season. Uh, but I think ultimately Collingwood just too good. I'm going for the Magpies to win by 16 points, which brings us to the final game of round 10. <laughs> final game on the card. It's 4.40 p.m. Sunday afternoon. Giant Stadium is the venue, and it's GWS playing St Kilda. GWS 15th on the ladder, three and six. Uh, they got towelled by Collingwood last week, 65 points. St Kilda fifth on the ladder, six and three. Lost three of their last five now, and they got fixed up too by Adelaide, 52 points. Uh, St Kilda won the last three meetings against the Giants, whose last win over the Saints was back in 2019. Uh, GWS at their home ground, five and three since the start of last year. St Kilda have played there three times, so one win. And two losses. I'll throw this one to you, Rocket. I, I spoke briefly to Adam Kingsley before the start of the game last week, and he was telling me about how when he's doing all his video stuff, he likes having uh, Iron Maiden, Metallica, and Megadeth going in the uh, speakers <laughs> in the background. So That's very heavy. His concentration levels must be okay to, to well, go through that. Uh, and it doesn't surprise when you see him squeezing the stress ball, it sort of doesn't surprise that he's a bit of a heavy metal freak, does it? No, it doesn't. Um, I can uh, I can uh, uh, sympathise with him with a stress ball. So um, it's, uh, but uh, I think this game, I think it's a danger game for St Kilda I, because of playing at John Stadium. Toby Green should be back. Uh, they'll bounce back from last week. They were very poor last week, St Kilda. Teams are starting to work them out. So they haven't got many tricks outside. They, they want to play the, they switch it down back in the back 50 and they sometimes get out from that. Um, Adelaide blocked that extremely well, but then they play the boundary line. They don't come back through the middle at all. So teams are now defending them really well down the boundary, and they don't get any flow unless there's a real bad turnover. So um, Adelaide had the advantage of being such a good kicking team, so they took some dangerous kicks, but some automatic kicks into the middle, hit their targets, and they're off to the races. Uh, uh, you have a look at the Giants. They can turn it over, so they that they can be exposed. But you look at Cornelio, Whitfield, if Green plays, Tom Green, Kelly, they've got some class players. They've got some ability. So they've got to be able, if they can switch direction, I know Kingsley likes to play a bit more of an expansive game than they have in the past, move the ball more quickly, which does open itself up to turn it over. And that's what St Kilda prey on. They just prey on on, on turnover. Um, it's a danger game for St Kilda. I still think St Kilda will win. I still will select them. But it it is a it is a danger game for them. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking long and hard about this one. And the key uh, to my tip would be the presence or otherwise of Toby Green. So they do expect him to be back this week from that ankle injury. So obviously that'll be a massive boost for them. And uh, well, St Kilda got a big selection issue there too, and that is about the availability or otherwise of Max King. Um, he was on track to play last weekend, but a couple of niggles. Uh, sort of stopped him just at the um, the starting barriers, but uh, should be right this week. Would you play him in the seniors first up, or is that too big a gamble? Do you think? Generally, you um, you play you play gun players first up, uh, but with his history, like it was a shoulder, then he did a hamstring. So when they're saying a couple of niggles, it's, it seems to me a groin or a sore calf just the amount of running they're putting into him, that his body's reacting to that. 
personally, I would play him in the VFL for a week and it wouldn't matter if he got a touch or didn't get a touch. It'd be like a training run. I'd say this is the final part of his training to get used to being bumped, uh, leading, sprinting, um, all, all those machinations that you have in a game. And if he didn't get a touch, as I said, I'd still pick him the next week. Um, but I would, just for his body's sake, I, I would, and that way you can monitor his game time, take him off when you want to. Um, I, I, I'd certainly play him the VFL. I'll tell you what, a big factor there, though, is going to be the um, absence of Tim Membry because yes. uh, he's in concussion protocols. Oh, gee, I'd be, yeah, no, I tend to agree with you, but if there's no Membry... No, no, um, no, and that's, and that's the thing. That's the temptation. Yeah, in a cool high ladder day, and now, now I don't know Max King, and they're, they're going to know him better. And he's a star player, and if it was anyone else than a star player, or if it was Tom Lynch, they're going to bring straight back in. So, as an example, at, at at Richmond, aren't they? So, so my, but he hasn't played at all this year. He hasn't done anything. He's had some soft tissues. I'm just erring on the side of caution rather than throw him into a big game. And say the game's tight, well, you're just going to leave him out there. Does he break down again? So that's my only my only concern. I mean, you would play a, a good player straight away, but just with his history of what has happened this year, I I would err, but I'm not saying I'm right either on that. So, All right. Uh, yeah, I've got to say, as I said, I was cl- up close to the Giants last week, and they really um, they were a bit fumbly. They just kept turning the ball over, but... I reckon they might be able to clean that up a bit, and uh, I don't know. I've just got a, I've got a vibe about this one. I've been wrong before, but uh, I'm actually going to go for the Giants here. I reckon uh, St Kilda. You wonder if if the mojo is uh, has been busted, and I think the Giants are better than they showed last week, and they're probably better overall than their situation or or place at this stage of a season indicates. Toby Green is the difference to me, and I think he will be back. And I think at home, they're good enough to get over the line. So I'm going to go for the uh, – I wonder if I'm at that desperation tipping stage, but uh, it might sound No, no, like I it. think it's a danger. I, th- no, I wouldn't be surprised if someone said that they win at the end of it and win by a couple of goals. Yeah, it certainly wouldn't surprise. I don't think it'll be – I don't think it'll be a blowout either way. But uh, I, th- I think they've got the talent to win the game if everything goes well for them. All right. Uh, well, I'm going to go for them to win. I'm going to put my – you know what's on the line? GWS by six points. Come on, Rocket. Have you got the courage of your conviction? No, no. I'm going for St <laughs> Kilda by 13 points. 13 points. Okay. Uh, all right. So, yeah, we differ. In fact, that is the only one we differ on this week. Uh, the very last game of round 10. And that brings us to the end of this week's footyology episode. Been uh, good fun. Thanks to your company. Uh, quickly, Rocket, question without notice. Uh, pick of this week's offerings. Is it that Friday night game, Port Mel- uh, Port Adelaide, Port Melbourne? Port Adelaide. Yeah, Port Melbourne, you're going well. <laughs> Mel- uh, Port Adelaide taking on Melbourne. Should be a corker, shouldn't it? It should be. Uh, that's that's the two best sides uh, as far as the – but I'm looking forward to the Bulldogs-Crows. So I think they're two and up are coming sides. And I'm interested to look at Fremantle, whether they can take the next step as well. Uh, Bulldogs, Crows, of course, on Mars. Chance to get that And it's not on Uranus. And uh, Oh, very, very good, Rocket. Working beautifully. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, no Billy Frampton. He's out injured, so we can't make the traditional joke. <laughs> Although we've, joke. we've got one to replace it now, and it's the Orazio Fantasia Memorial injury list. So good luck to everyone on that. No, in all seriousness. Sponsored by Elastoplast. <laughs> 
yeah, very good. Uh, all right. Hope your team gets a win up this week. Um, hope you enjoyed this show. We'll speak to you next week.